Well, good morning. And thank you for the birthday wishes. I appreciate that. I'm going to have a little bit of a fireside chat with you this morning, if that's okay, before we get into the message, because I want to say a few things. I want to say how thankful I am to be your pastor. How much I appreciated all of the good business that was accomplished last week in such a short amount of time. And that I especially appreciate the care and the concern and your support of me. You deserve so much better. And I know that. I take that to the Lord on a daily basis. But you've helped me to grow in ways that I didn't even know I needed to grow, but I certainly did. And I pray often that that growth becomes more and more evident as time goes on. And I just want to say how much I love each and every one of you. You are loved. The song that I was playing during the, during the prayer time, oh, how he loves you and me. You know, we often focus on our love to him because that's what's in our mind. It's what we know and what we feel in our heart. We have to accept the fact that he loves us so, even when we are not lovable. That's the beauty of salvation. I'm so thankful for that as I'm so thankful for you. And I told the Lord this week, oh God, I want to do my very best to be open and available every time I come before him, before I get up here and stand before you. And just so you know, <laughs> I'm not very good at math. Jim was the mathematician, not me. And boy, do I miss that. But I do know the difference between feet and yards, even though I messed that up terribly last week. <laughs> no wonder the boys were looking at me like I had fell out of a tree or something. So I went back to the commentary to see where did I mess this up so bad. And it said, that lepers, if you remember, the topic was lepers staying far away from people, that they had to stay 100 paces or the equivalent of 300 feet. But as I was typing out my message, I typed 300 yards. <laughs> and I even asked Alexa to do the math for me to be sure I was right. But I wrote it down wrong, and that's how it happened. So... I apologize for that. I'm sure you all figured out what was going on, but as I listened back to it, I just rolled my eyes and said, oh, brother. <laughs> and believe it or not, I do cross-check my work and make sure my refer references are right and all of that, but hopefully you'll forgive me. Last week, as you remember, the Lord gave us a word that was probably one of the most unusual that I've ever spoken, for sure, about world-dulled senses. He invited us to bring our world-dulled senses to him. 
And I don't ever remember hearing those words or reading them in scripture, but I actually did find several passages in scripture this last week as I was looking through that about our worldly dull senses, not, not arranged in those exact in that exact way, but meaning exactly the same thing. We all innately know that by having the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and by the express written word of God as well, that loving the spirit of this world is enmity against God. It's against the very nature of who God is for us to love the things of this world, the spirits of this world, he doesn't mean you can't love your car or your house or something like that, but unless you love it to the point that you put it before him, of course, but that the spirits in this world are not for us. They're not for us to love. First John 2.15 says clearly, do not love the world or the things that are in this world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But the conundrum is that Jesus gave us to the world to be his representative, to be his love and his light and his salt, even though he knew the world would hate us because it hated him and does hate him. It's a harsh world out there. Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 4 not to live as the Gentiles do who being past all feeling, the desensitization that they couldn't even decipher what was right and what was wrong, and it produced works of gross uncleanness and greed beyond measure. But Paul said, you have learned differently. Learn Christ. Those were his, his uh, words to the Ephesians. He told them that living in this desensitized world without God would make them hunger for the obscene. It would make them hunger for the bloody games that they played to the death and the utter disregard for and the ill treatment of marriage, women, and children. We can recognize many of these same traits today. People are desensitized to right and wrong. They have no feelings for one another, including children, and their understanding of God is completely skewed. Paul warned them to put away such things and to put on Christ. Yes, it is harsh, but in the book of John, Jesus showed his believers how to remain sensitized to each other and even to the world. If you want to turn to John 15, we're going to read uh, verses 17 through 19. And these things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
The Lord knew that we would need to be sensitive to one another as the body of Christ, to love and support each other because of this outside world hatred towards us. He said that the world will do all manner of things against you, even to the persecution of you for his name's sake. You want to know about that? Talk to some Canadians today or Australians today because they know not the one who has sent me, Paul said. I believe that this is an interpretation or a, a, a different um, wording on what the Holy Spirit told us last week in that word. Children, I know you're being bruised and battered and living alongside this unfeeling world spirit. I know that it's hard and that it makes you sad and lonely and even isolated. I know that even though you love me, the influence and the effect of just being in this world takes a toll upon your body and your spirit. And that as my representative on this earth, it will dull your human senses, which can affect your spiritual walk. That the spirit of this world can dull our senses to the point that we can't hear him so well right now. We can't see his hand that is moving on our behalf right now. We can't understand his good motives towards us right now. And we can't taste or smell the sweet savor of our love and our worship as it wafts up to him. But he said last week to us, I invite you to bring all of this dullness to me for refreshing. And he provided the means for that. For he told us in John 15, 26, When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth. I, I bet you in the, in the two years that I've stood behind this pulpit, I've said those words, the Spirit of truth, countless numbers of times. It keeps coming up. It keeps coming to the forefront. The Bible says over and over that God is truth, and he is. If you are truth, you would hate a lie, which God does. He said, but these things have I spoken unto you, so that you should not be offended or taken by surprise by these things, so that the influence of this world will not cause you to stumble or to distrust or desert the very one that you should obey and cling to, just like Paul told the Ephesians. In John 17, Jesus prayed for the believers. Such a beautiful, if you, if you ever feel unloved, read John 17. As he prepared to leave the earth and leave them for his journey to the cross, he prayed that they, and later in that same chapter, he included all of us born into the family, would believe in him so that we would become one in love 
and one in unity, just as he and the Father are one. He prayed that not one would be lost, no children, no, no relatives would be lost. We have confidence in his words, confidence in his prayer. He said, except for the son of perdition, Satan and the Antichrist were named to fulfill scripture, but that all we who love him would be kept through all the turmoil the, through the Father's name. In John 17, verses 13 through 18, Jesus began a beautiful, comprehensive prayer for all those who would come to him to have his peace and his joy because he put the Father's word in our hearts to sustain us because he knew we would be hated. In verse 15, he said, Father, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And just as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And as Jesus was wrapping up his prayer in verse 24, he said, Father, I will that these also whom you have given me will be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. We have known him too. And I've declared unto them thy name, and I will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. I'm almost finished. He, wouldn't, he knew it wouldn't be easy for us. He knew we would need each other's love, and we do. And he gave us the words of his Father and proclaimed his profound love, all to sustain us in a dark, harsh world. And then he promised us heaven that we may be with him where he is. I believe that all of this is wrapped up in the word that he gave us last week. And I'm so thankful that he knows the struggle that goes on rubbing shoulders with evil spirits. I think he made it clear to us that dullness is not sin. It's not even lethargy. It's simply a direct result of having lived in this world and that we must guard against that world creeping in to keep us from falling away and using the tools that he gave us to stay near him and learn Christ. I hope that shed some light on that message last week. And I want to tell you about a dream I had this week. 
Before I get into this dream, I want to say a couple of things. This is the weirdest thing I've ever, ever dreamed or thought, never have thought. <laughs> but I want to tell you that there's one, nothing political about this, and two, nothing that was inappropriate. Um, I think that's enough said. I, I think you'll figure that out as I get into it. It's weird, but this is of the Lord. So early on Wednesday morning, I woke up about 4.30, and I looked at the clock, and I said, Lord, I'm here. I want to hear your word. I want to hear your voice. And I went right back to sleep, and I had this dream, and I woke up again about an hour or so later, and I got up very early in the morning to record it, and then the Lord gave me this entire message about living in the world as well. I dreamed that I was in a large conference room where a lot of people were, including President Joe Biden. It so happened that I was in this large multi-purpose room. It had a theater seating area where you could sit as a listener to whoever was speaking, a kitchen and preparation area, and in the left corner, was a bedroom area like a hotel room with a bathroom and, you know, place to put your luggage and what have you and a bed. And I was there in this room working as an assistant of some sort with an administrative type of job to do. And I was busy talking to people, answering questions, and just doing things. President Biden and a few of his people were also in the same room and they were quietly talking and the people were milling about him when suddenly he grabbed his chest and began very visibly and violently shaking in his chest. Such as you would see on TV when they would use the defibrillator paddles and put them on someone and say all clear and you see them jump up off the table. This was the violent action that his chest was having. The shaking of his body from these uh, heart attacks or whatever they were, were so violent and they just came one right after the next, after the next, until he was falling to the floor. And some of his men picked him up, and they drug him to the foot of the bed, and I was standing near that area. And they said to me, here, do something with him. And they walked away. They cleared the room of all the people, and they moved to the far side of the room, his people far away from us. I immediately jumped up on the bed and I drug him by his shoulders toward the head of the bed so that he could lay down. And he looked me in the eyes and he reached up and he pulled on me as if to say, please stay with me, don't leave, stay here with me. And he was wearing a long sleeve. Now, dreams, things happen in dreams that don't happen in real life, so bear with me. He was wearing a long sleeved white shirt, boxer shorts, and black socks. 
And though he was, he was dressed in the earlier times, but at this point, that's what he was wearing. And though he was not able to speak a word, he was clearly terrified and still violently shaking. I knew at that moment that I was dealing with a five to six year old little boy in his spirit and in his mind. And I was there to minister to this little boy. So I put my arms around him as though he was a child and I put my mouth right next to his ear and I softly began singing Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And he turned his head to me, and he nodded his head, yes, yes, in recognition of that song. And I said into his ear, Mr. President, you may be dying right now. Do you want to pray? And again, he nodded his head, yes. I led him in the sinner's prayer directly into his ear, and though he mouthed every word of it with me, there was no sound coming from him at all, but he was still violently shaking. I began speaking in tongues over him, and he looked at me questioning, and what, what are you doing? And I said, don't worry, I'm praying for you. This is the Holy Spirit praying for you. And he shook his head, okay, go ahead, do it, in acknowledgement of what I said. After alternating praying over him in English, in tongues, and singing for a few more minutes, the violent shaking completely stopped. But then he began to shiver as though he were freezing cold and his body was very cold to the touch. And I yelled for one of the men to bring a blanket. And I happened to look to the left and on the left side of the bed near the wall, crumpled up in a big heap, was a huge, thick, dark gray Sherpa blanket. And I said to the man, it's right here, bring it over. And he brought the blanket, and we covered him up. All the while, I was holding him, patting his, his arm like a little child, singing and praying. And again, his people turned and walked away. As soon as he was covered up, he stopped shivering, he stopped shaking, and he fell deeply asleep. I actually wondered if he was dead, but then I saw his chest just softly moving in and out, breathing normally, not shaking, just peacefully sleeping. I continued to pray for him and hold him for a little while. And he woke up and he looked at me in my eyes and I knew he was okay. I said, Mr. President, you're back. He nodded, yes. I am. His eyes were clear and bright. He knew exactly what I was saying, that he was back from the dead. I said, Mr. President, 
Now you have accepted Jesus Christ in your heart and things are going to be different for you. You must do the right things. And he nodded, yes, in agreement. I said, you will find out what to do by reading the word of God that are written in words of God that are written in the Bible and by praying and asking Jesus and the Holy Spirit to guide you. Do you understand this? Once again, he nodded his head. Yes, he understood, still not having uttered one single word. After a minute or two, he began to just stretch and move around a little bit. And he turned towards me and he said, I have a daughter. And he got up. Those were the only words he spoke. He got up and he left me and he went back to his people as though nothing had ever occurred. I left the room and I walked down a long hallway where little children were riding on small ride-on cars, like we have two or three of them in the nursery, that I had to dodge in order to get down this long hallway. And their mothers were following, just laughing at these little kids, and I was laughing with them, having such a good time and I found my car parked outside and I drove home. I'm not really able to interpret what this means, nor do I even claim that it has a profound meaning. And as I said, this is not a political statement of any sort. It is a spiritual dream depicting someone who desperately needs the Lord. We can't know all the facts of a person's life that causes them to behave in a certain way. But we're the light of the world, and we know the one who does know the heart. Maybe President Biden is one of those whose senses became so dulled by living in an evil spirit in this world that he lost all of his bearings and fell away or maybe he was completely ignorant of God I don't know but I do know that every man has a God-breathed spirit in him and that spirit will be aligned with either the dangerous spirits of this world or the spirit of God and there is no in-between. So as we, as believers, bring our dulled senses to God for renewal, we can't forget why he put us here, why he left us here, and that Jesus has commissioned every one of us to show them the desensitized ones Christ, his love, his light, his spirit, and if they accept him, his kingdom. Later in John, Jesus said, this world is not my kingdom. But these, these unfeeling ones of this world who need a savior, this is why I left my kingdom in heaven and came to this earth. 
For to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into this world, that I should be bear witness unto the truth, and that everyone that is of the truth heareth my words. For in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We don't know motives of hearts, but he does. So when we bring these needs and bring these people and bring our families and bring our unsaved neighbors to him, he knows what the depths of their heart and their thinking is, and we leave it to him. But we have to be available and open to point them to him in a critical time. We never know what might be the last time that we see them in this world. Father, we thank you today for your blessings and your mercy upon us. We thank you today, God, that you made a way, that you have put eternity in the heart of every man. And Lord, that we aligned with you and you chose us out of this world, but yet you left us here, O oh God, to be your witnesses. Oh Lord, make us worthy witnesses. Make us willing, O oh Lord, no matter what the call, no matter who the person, no matter what the politics or what the situation, oh God, that we're willing to show them Christ. It may be such a simple thing as Jesus loves me, this I know, that might spark a remembrance, a long, long ago experience with God that has long been buried in their mind and their heart. Oh, but the Holy Spirit can spark it, can light it afire, Lord, by just a word that we might say. Use us, Lord, to your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Oh, God, purify our hearts by the washing of the water of the word today. And we give you the praise and the glory in your precious, precious name. Amen and amen. And Father, now we ask that you would bless this fellowship. Bless my birthday, Lord, and bless the painting and the food. We ask it in your name for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Amen.